Welcome back to the Oyster and the Pearl. I'm Jennifer Dett, the Emergency Medicine Program Director at Christiana Care in Delaware. We're coming in today with yet another installment of our partnership with CORD and the Faculty Development Subcommittee of the Education Committee. Today, we are going to finish up our conversation around diversity, inclusion, and equity in our programs. I encourage you that if you have not yet listened to part one, to hit pause, go back, and listen to it because I think it'll be really helpful when you uh, sit down to listen to this one. Joining us today again is Dr. Dustin Williams, who is moderating our conversation, and Drs. Tyson Pillow, Jeff Druck, and Ava Pierce. We were so fortunate to have all of them for this lively conversation around this important topic. Last time, we talked quite a bit about the benefits to our patients and communities through diversifying our residencies and departments, as well as how to approach recruitment season with this in mind. Today, we're going to switch gears a bit and discover what diversity has meant to each of our panelists, where mentorship can be found, and what this group thinks about future directions this work will take. So let's dive right back in. My next question, I wanted to go in a little bit different direction, maybe a little more personal, but I was wondering from my panelists, how has diversity or lack thereof affected, enriched, or impacted your career? Ava, <coughs> Ava, oh, Ava. <laughs> okay, I guess I can take that one, and I will take the positive spin of this. Um, because there was a lack of diversity at my institution when I started, I reached out for mentorship through the Academy for Diversity and Inclusion in Emergency Medicine, SAEM, at SAEM. And there I found mentors, um, advisors, and really people that helped catapult my career to um, an area that I never thought it would be. And so, um, you know, as far as giving me opportunities for scholarship that I didn't think that I would have, um, mentoring me to run for positions within ADIM. And if I looked at myself six years ago, I would never imagine that I would um, be a leader of a committee in ADIM, let alone the president of ADIM, but really um, have given me the passion to pursue those things that are important to me. So really just having um, that mentorship and sponsorship through SAM and ADIM has been really helpful. So I'll have to give the, the plug for, for that. And it was because of a lack of diversity and I felt like a mentor that, um, that I found at my own institution at that point in time. I think that's a really good point uh, before, because I know you guys have answers to that too, but you know, for institutions that are looking to diversify and don't have those mentors and their faculty, I think that's a really great uh, thing that you just said to look outside of your institution. So if, if you are one of those institutions, maybe start to think about those uh, opportunities or those societies or those people that you can connect your residents with that are outside of your own institution. I think that's a really great point. I, I think the other thing that I'd like to point out is, is that you don't have to stay within emergency medicine. Uh, you know, at our institution, um, our Initially, our specialty was was particularly weak from a diversity perspective, but some of the other specialties within our institution actually had quite a bit of diversity. Honestly, we paired some of our some of our incoming residents with uh, faculty and other departments because we wanted to make sure that they had a, a diversity of mentors. One of the things that I think that residents and students and honestly junior faculty uh, fail to realize is how much mentorship makes a difference and how important it is that you have a, a web of mentors, that you don't have just one, but you have a group of people that are designed to help you and that they're going to help you in different ways. And I, I think that that's one of those things that when you talk about 
where you can find mentors. There's no question nationally is one easy answer within your own institution, but in other specialties is another easy answer. I would say that uh, since very early on, and again, my, my word, my own personal choice for the word is blessed, but um, I have had uh, situations where I grew up in St. Louis and went to the uh, what it was uh, is probably still considered the best uh, uh, Jesuit high school in St. Louis. Uh, I think about 12 minorities entered. Two of us graduated my class. Um, I, I remember uh, seeing the struggles in others kind of coping with uh, sort of that environment. Uh, get to various different programs to, uh, for development where the default was that um, I was there as uh, affirmative action. And then later, once they realized I spoke really well, I articulated really well, uh, that I might possibly deserve, quote unquote, deserve to be there. And uh, then kind of seeing that in, in medicine as well, I... I, I think I learned to be uh, to be a mentor, to be an anchor, to be a support for others going through that. And it's it's never my my parents uh, taught me some wonderful life lessons, and I've always done my best to try to turn the other cheek. I have stories growing up where, uh, as a paramedic in in uh, uh, Texas, uh, while I was in med school. I picked up a guy in middle of nowhere, Texas, about 40 minutes by drive away from any hospital whatsoever. And it's this nice uh, a white gentleman who was having a heart attack who did not want me to touch him in any way, shape or form. And, uh, you know, son pulled me aside and the wife, I said, look, I do not care how you feel about me. If you would like to live to continue your feelings about me, you're going to let me touch you and take care of you and everything else. And he fought me in the entire way down after I, I made him feel better, gave him the nitro, gave him the aspirin, got him out of pain, made him comfortable. Then he got more ornery. Then he started having more pain. He got a little less ornery, you know, so I, I, I've, I've, I've dealt with these, these, these situations of, of uh, lack of diversity, lack of understanding, lack of perspective in my face. And I think I've been called to kind of be a support for that. So I think the other part of lack of diversity has been uh, seeing the effect, not only on the patients, no matter whether the patient's um, ignorant or not, but uh, on the institutions, the programs, et cetera, and sort of driving me to try to be a representative for a different voice and more diversity and helping people to navigate that too. I think, Dustin, to go back to your original question about how diversity has influenced my career, I would say it's actually made my career. I don't think I ever set out for this to be a large component of what I did um, at any point in time. And uh, I, I got involved in diversity work because I realized that I had some pretty strong implicit biases that I was convinced that I needed to change um, that became obvious to me because someone pointed it out to me because I had a good relationship with them. I, I've told this story numerous times, but... Um, I, I was initially at Emory after residency and they threw a party for me afterwards. And uh, when I was leaving to go back to Colorado, I was standing talking to two residents and one was a white guy. And he said to me, Oh, Jeff, I'm so jealous that you're going to Colorado. 
I'm so jealous that you're going to be able to ski all the time. It's going to be great. You got to have me up there. And I said, yeah, definitely. And I turned to the other resident who was black and I said, you should come out and I'll teach you how to ski. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, you think because I'm black, I don't know how to ski. And I turned to him and I said, I am so sorry. That is 100% what I thought. And I shouldn't have thought that. And I am so, so sorry. And it made me realize my own implicit bias and um, that that resident subsequently came out to Colorado during Black Ski Week, and uh, I went skiing with them in Vail, and they kicked my butt all over the mountain. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that recognizing that component is the first part. And then the second thing that happened to me was uh, was that one uh, minority resident in our program, Dowan Boatwright, came to me and he said, hey, Jeff, you know, this is a problem. We need to change it. And I didn't set out to to make my career from a diversity perspective, but this, this was the right thing to do. And so realizing that it's the right thing to do has really let me analyze how it is that I approach things, how it is that I approach other people. Um, and I think that to some extent, my current position as one of the student affairs deans is directly related to that because I'm seen as someone that everybody can come to because I'm gonna analyze things from their perspective. I'm gonna try and take a look at it not from not from my own perspective. I want to try and incorporate other people's thoughts. Um, so I would say that it's been instrumental in terms of not just making me who I am, but also my career overall. Well, thank you guys all for sharing your stories and for being such great advocates in uh, diversity and inclusion. I appreciate everything that you guys are, are doing. Um, my next question for you guys, since you guys are uh, at programs that are leaders in diversity and inclusion, I was wondering if you guys have any promising practices uh, or best practices in diversity and inclusion that uh, some of our listeners that are program directors could implement in their home programs. I guess I'll start out with saying Dr. Durek has mentioned um, quite a few of them, but clearly um, the visiting elective clerkships have been popular in many places around the country. And I think really um, give an opportunity to maybe bring a URM uh, student to your program that may not have been able to come to your program. Having second look days for um, those interviewing in emergency medicine has been become popular and something that I think um, you can consider. And for me, it's just been in all these initiatives, really um, making sure that it came from a place where it started with leadership from the top. You know, you need to increase diversity and inclusion and equity in the curriculum. You need to increase your grand round speakers. You need to increase um, unconscious bias training. You need to look at having anti-discrimination, anti-racism training, and you need to have it be just not one or two people making these changes um, with you. You need to educate the entire residency, faculty, and you need to have a group of allies that's going to help you have the climate for everyone that um, makes it a better residency. I think that's great and really insightful, Ava. A follow-up question that I was wondering, what do you do when you have faculty in your group that may not be on board with your same mission of diversity and inclusion? How do you kind of navigate that? And that's for any of the panelists. Uh, you look them in the eye and you tell them where you're going and you expect change or you expect them to change where they're at. And it, it gets hard. Um, now, that's my, that's my, I've had to do that. I've had people who have realized their own biases and we've worked with and uh, are outstanding faculty and who are open to change. Really, the, the, the crux of it is open to change. I've had other faculty uh, who 
continue to do the same behaviors that uh, alienate others within the program and had to say, look, this is, this is where we're going. And the, the hard thing, I'll, I've had a lot of conversations. So to be honest, to be blunt and honest, um, I, I love my PD time. Um, I love my vice chair of education time too, but I love my PD time. It was pretty easy from the standpoint of saying, I am one of the few African-American program directors in the country that we are prioritizing um, uh, diversity. What was interesting is in the conversations, you know, you close the door, you interview, hearing the bias, the biases, hearing the, the bias uh, among faculty and figuring out how to actively deal with it. And I, I've been a part of a lot of conversations. There are absolutely, we, we need to help each other, work with each other, grow, et cetera. So do not take my, my very passionate stance about this point to be, oh yeah, if you don't think the right way, you're out. But there are absolutely faculty who do not think the way that I think about diversity and who may or may not have verbalized that multiple times to my residents who happen to be one of the, the most diverse in the country. And you're, you're, you're stuck because if you keep these people that are actively speaking against your efforts in your institution, you're demeaning everything, devaluing everything you're, you're, you're doing. And so lots and lots of active effort. And so if I'll briefly just add to that, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, especially program directors. I've noticed back, and this might not be true anymore, back in the day, what you would do is that you wanted diversity in your program, but not everybody believed in it. So you closed the door and you made your list, but you didn't share your list. So people weren't sure exactly till later. I did the exact opposite. I told them what we're doing. I told them what we're recruiting for. I let people see my list. I would love your feedback. Let me know because this, it, it, it cannot be, and Ava's talking about top down and it's got to be active buy-in. You, you cannot, you can absolutely not. You know, I've, I've been doing this long enough that people in our faculty have said, oh, we got too many this year. Too many what? Like you, you can't, that cannot be the way you do it. So I, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little passionate about this one. Wusa, I'm going to calm down a little bit. But I think it's very, very active. Like Ava said, top down, very active. Let's all work. Let's all improve. Let's all work on our biases. I've got them, you've got them, etc. But just very clearly, there is a line. And I've had the, um, I've, I've had to declare one as not with us and ask them to leave before. And I'm okay with doing it again for the sake of growth for department, for the program, et cetera. So, and the views of Malfoy Tyson Pillow may not be the reflective views of Baylor College of Medicine or other affiliates. <laughs> Standing ovation button. <laughs> I think that uh, one of the things that Tyson talked about was uh, having that support from above. And I think that not everybody is going to have that support from above. Um, in which case, then the real conversation is, is how do you change the minds of those people that are your, um, are, are in control, you know, the people that are in power. And um, I think that that takes a, a lot of um, emotional intelligence in terms of figuring out how it is that you reach certain people. Uh, we have one faculty member who was very, very adamant um, about board scores and was very focused on board scores above everything else. 
And it was only when you presented the data to him over and over and over again about how those board scores are not a correlate with somebody being a good physician that they were finally willing to step off of that, that platform. And so, and then there are other people that, uh, that bring their own experiences that make them biased in a different way. And I think that trying to figure out where people are coming from and why it is that they feel a certain way is going to be helpful. And, and you know, Dr. Pell is 100% right. There are some people that you're just never going to change their opinion. They are set in their ways, um, you know, and, and you're right. The only way to deal with them is to get them off the bus. But uh, it's trying to figure out whether there's another way to reach people that I think makes a difference. And absolutely taking the time. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely taking the time to try to reach people. But if you all want another fun podcast, I have stories. <laughs> I have stories of people looking me in the face, looking a black program director in the face and saying things. I mean, if you want, I don't know what the highest viewership is on your podcast, but I'll double it one good time. Just let me know. I know we're about to wrap up, right? I want to respect you guys' time. But Jeff and Tyson, since you guys are at Programs Verse, both very well known for your diversity and inclusion efforts, I was wondering if you had any promising practices that you'd like to share with us. I'll tell you where I think that diversity recruiting is going um, from my perspective, because I think that uh, the things that, that Dr. Pierce and Dr. Pillow talked about in terms of um, you know, putting, putting yourself out there, talking about how diversity is important to your program, uh, diversity externships, second look days, et cetera. Um, I think those are becoming, I don't want to say common, but I think that, that uh, more programs are, are, are adding those in. So it's hard to distinguish yourself differently. And uh, I think that the, that the next frontier is going to be about how it is that you increase your pipeline and how it is that you get your uh, residents to be part of that pipeline in terms of increasing recruiting. And I, I don't know how much of that is my own personal um, bias and that I love mentorship. I love being able to help people get to where they want to go. I mean, it's the best part of my job. Uh, and I feel like if I'm able to get the residents to do the same thing, then they are going to feel that same, that same enthusiasm and that same desire going forward. And they're going to feel that investment in people that, that are, uh, farther that are before them in the pipeline. And so I think that showing that you're able to involve your residents in the pipeline programs is going to be another diversity recruiting tool. I think the big thing that I think works that I can offer on top of that is that uh, respecting the questions, you know, you don't want to ask illegal questions or, or those sort of things, but we talk about diversity and its importance in our process. I can't tell you the number of people who have said that the first time that they they come to our day, our our you know our song and dance um, that we all have, is the first time where they heard that diversity was a priority and there was data behind it, or that it it wasn't a passing thought, a single line on the slide versus something we spent time about and talked about. Right. I mean, we the, the safe things, things that, that won't uh, the upset people like, hey, what's it like being a Californian in Texas? Right. You're bringing in the diversity of thought from over there, uh, those sort of things, that transition. What's it like being a woman in emergency medicine? Right. Making sure that that's represented, that we have a good uh, number of uh, female 
um, uh, interviewers as well. And that is uh, an important point to consider. Um, mentoring wise for the outgoing students, so this is an interview, but outgoing students, I asked them, I said, look, you, you speak Spanish and you have a strong uh, Latino heritage. Do you want programs that that is gonna be part of your practice? Are you okay with going to programs where you won't speak any Spanish, won't need it for a while? Or do you want that to be part of your practice? And that's very, very important to have conversations around the things people uh, uh, that are truly important. I used to get upset Right when a student sat in front of me and asked me how many traumas we had, I used to get really upset. Like, ah, oh, you just you just wasted a, a a wish with the genie on how many traumas you had. What are you doing? But I get it now. I, I think because we haven't learned to talk about these core important things, and we haven't learned to show value to them. You know, even on the interview day, they 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 don't always know. So I think one of the things that we've been successful doing is to talk about our diversity, talk about why it's important, talk about how the one of the most rewarding things on shift is taking care of a patient who speaks a dialect of uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, who's clearly afraid and going through what they're going through, and then finding that one nurse that also speaks that dialect and that, that bright face when they see and hear someone that understands them, right? That's why we're doing it and, and talking about it, actively making that a part of the day rather than this like super secret secret thing where, you know, oh, we're a great program. We're going to teach you to do emergency medicine and we do diversity on the side. Like, no, no, this is part of what we do and doing it from day one. I like it, Tyson. Loud and proud diversity. <laughs> That's my standing ovation for you. So Jeff, Jenna, Tyson, Ava, thank you all so much for being on our podcast today. What a fantastic session and discussion with some true experts in the field of diversity, inclusion, and emergency medicine. I really appreciate your input and insight into such an important topic. And I truly appreciate your hard work and advocacy in the realm of diversity and inclusion. Be sure to stay tuned for future episodes. Dustin, we're so thankful for you to take on the Oyster and Pearl and uh, your podcasting debut as host was excellent. And we really hope that you guys disseminate this and talk about it amongst your programs and amongst your faculty. Really hope that it uh, fosters further conversation. So thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you all when you come back. <laughs>